Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear you. Good to see you back in the studio today. We've had a little (laughs) uh, technical issues the last couple of three weeks. We think we finally figured it out. And it is, once again, most likely operator error. Uh, we we have not been able to get our <laughs> cameras hooked up to look at each other. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, y'all heard us say uh, for all these years now, we've got radio faces. It's not that we're that <laughs> eager to be seen, but it does help with a little uh, eye contact. And it's it's nice to feel like you're talking to somebody, Bubba. So glad well, to see the main, you The main thing is that John can do hand signals that say, don't go there. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> what? Turn your microphone on. Hold yeah, that's sides, a good one. You know. <laughs> that's a good one right there. We we are a high-tech operation here. I'm telling you. But, yes, uh, yep. Well, as we hear uh, ending up, uh, year A seemed like we just got started, but uh, today we'll do our final Sunday in the uh, lectionary cycle A and in the uh, church calendar year. This is uh, the Sunday for the reign of Christ, also known as Christ the King, and these are the texts for November the 26th, 2023. Bubba, you are the experienced one with this Sunday and I'll confess I'm not using these texts. I need no. I needed a special special purpose sermon for this week. Yeah. But uh, I'm interested in what you got to say. So lead yeah. us along. You're welcome. I'm happy to do that. As you alluded, um this this has various names. Traditionally on the calendar, particularly Episcopal and Lutheran calendars, it has been Christ the King. And uh in the last 30 years or so, there have been various shifts on that name because of various understandings of the word king and kingship, and y'all know all of that oh, stuff. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. it's sometimes known, as you said, in, in other church traditions as reign of Christ. And uh, it's interesting, um, Lutheran churches of Sweden and Finland, which once were politically connected when this happened, so, you know, state churches... This was Judgment Sunday. Hmm. And since 1983, the Swedish church, Lutheran Church in Sweden, has called this the Return of Christ Sunday. Okay. Which is, so there are various ways to look at these same set of texts, same idea, mm-hmm. and come up with different ways of looking at it. I think <laughs> I find it interesting that uh, two prominent Lutheran churches combined to have denominations the name Judgment Sunday when mm-hmm. Lutherans are so averse to any discussion <laughs> of judgment. Yeah. So here we go. Um, it was another important thing, and I want to, the theme of the day, and this is one of those where the theme sort of dictates some of the interpretation of what you're looking at. It's one of the, the day 
is the primary driver mm-hmm. of the thing. It was initiated in 1925. It's one of our younger days on the church right. calendar. Uh, it, only the church would call something almost 100 years old young. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we uh, like the day I was uh, introducing myself in a new city, and I wanted to. I went to attend the Chamber of Commerce meeting, and they said, "Well, we got several new attenders uh, today. Tell us who you are, what your business is, how long you've been in Gainesville, and and so um, it comes from, you know finally around to me." And I said, "Well, I'm Todd Fairless. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church. We've been in Gainesville since 1870." I said. But the home office has been around a lot longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Home office. There you go. Yeah. So uh, it was initiated by Pope Pius XI in 1925, partially and mostly in response to the rise of various totalitarianisms and nationalisms Mm -hmm. in Europe. It was also partially in response to the fact that from 1870 until this time, the the uh, the Pope had lost secular rule over central Italy, you know, mm-hmm. and it was being reduced. And only a year or two after, finally signed a concordat with Mussolini that created Vatican City. You know, that's right. what the earthly got left, you know, mm-hmm. of what had once been a wide, wide realm. So partly he was trying to stake a case, you know. Here. Yeah. But mostly it was a response to things like communism in russia and um the rise of mussolini particularly there in and fascism in italy and the beginnings of fascism in germany etc to stake a claim that said wait a minute (laughs) christians have some higher authority right so the relevance to today uh, and I would say in America, one of the things we need to pay attention to, and some people are, and a lot of people mm-hmm. aren't paying enough attention to, is the rise of Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, difficult for some people to grasp what is so dangerous about it because yeah. it's an idea of that this country was founded, quote, on Christian principles and should be run as a Christian country based right. on the Christian interpretation of the Judeo-Christian scriptures. And believe me, there are a lot of people in very high places in the U.S. government, I'm not going to name any names, who believe this stuff and are working for this stuff, mm-hmm. which explains some of the things we see going on in Congress in particular that don't seem to make any sense, but mm-hmm. it makes sense from inside Christian nationalism, and if you haven't paid attention to it, you should. You should. Take it good. Yeah, you, you, not naming names, but some people maybe as high as second in line to the presidency. <laughs> uh, you know, Could be. Th- things Could like be. that. Uh, yeah. yeah. and it, uh, recently, recently come to prominence after a long obscurity. Yes. Um, the, beyond Christian nationalism, uh, it does ri- raise important questions. The issue of uh, the kingdom of Christ, you know, the Christ the King or the reign of Christ, of the relation of the Christian to the state. And there have been various answers throughout. And just since Protestantism, you know, you got the Reformation, two kingdoms that was prominently associated with Lutheranism. Uh, Theocracy, there's the roots of some theocracy in Calvinism. It's there, you know, of setting up that kind of relationship of the state and the church. 
Um, St. Augustine, some people trace back to St. Augustine and talk about his city of God versus, you know, the city of earth. And um, then you got to look at the good old Anabaptist who just said, we're going to tolerate the state. Yeah. But our higher loyalty is we will Always. do what the minimum we have to do, you know. And um, so we need to think through, as we look at this, what is the appropriate relationship of the Christian to the state, and how do they deal with those two kingdoms, those two cities, the relationship between them? And this this Sunday... I think is a good day to think through a little bit of that mm-hmm. as you're going approaching it, and you got to think where your own congregation is as to what you need to proclaim to them. And there's a lot of options through the various texts we right. have, but they all cycle around that question of that relationship for the Christian. Yep. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I love that. Who or what is our highest authority, and how do we function? And how within, do we function with it? In, in, Amer- in Amer- for the American context, how do we function yeah. within a purported republic or democracy? Um, yeah. uh, 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 you know, as we're trying to figure that out, and yeah. we say, "No, we're not going to have a king. We're not going to have any ultimate ruler," and yet uh, things going on around us point increasingly. Uh, to centralizing power and, you know, so, yeah, a lot of issues yep. around it here today. A lot today. of issues around where's, where's the Where's the gospel? That's what I'm, we're waiting on. <laughs> yeah, so Ezekiel, the Ezekiel text is picked to tie, uh, I think the second half of the Ezekiel text with yeah. uh, is connected with the Matthew judgment image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but this text comes from um, a Early in the exile, Ezekiel was the one of the people who was first set of deportees. That would have been around mm-hmm. 600 BCE, before the Common Era. Uh, but today's text comes from a time after Jerusalem was finally destroyed, about 15 years later, in 586. And this chapter, in this chapter, Ezekiel uses the image of the shepherd First, to sum up the history of Israel, and then to talk a bit about messianic hope. And so you got two sections of this chapter with the image of the shepherd used in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one, 11 through 16, Yahweh says, I'm just going to shepherd my sheep. This is after the first part of this chapter which heavy judgment on the kings who were supposed and others who were supposed to be the shepherds. And he says, I'm just going to have to do this myself. But underneath all, and you, I was going to say, you see, I myself phrased twice, 11 mm-hmm. and 15, and I will 13 times in those five verses and six of them in verse 16. This is a very strong statement of what God will do for God's people taking care of the sheep. Great words, powerful ideas. Powerful ideas that end up being reflected, echoed in throughout the New Testament. A lot of these images that he evokes here are are very much strongly there. And it is in context of when he's writing, he's writing to these folks in exile in Babylon. This is a promise of return from exile 
to the promised land. And you think of it in those terms. They're in strange lands. They're the, the people who are far off. They are, they've been promised they get to return to the promised land, you know, back to Israel, back to all these places. Mm-hmm. So that part's going on there, this promise of God. T- said, My, Our people messed us up totally. <laughs> so we're going to recover and go back to Israel. Then the second part of this, 20 through 24, makes a connection then to the Davidic line yes, and the yes. Messianic hope. Mm-hmm. It, it continues with this I will shepherding. Then in verse 23, he makes a shift. That, uh, Ezekiel makes a shift to the David Davidic, Davidic line set up as the shepherd. This judgment parable, the discussion in here, or image, is really powerful. I, I keep thinking, why did we end up with fat cats instead of fat sheep fat in Western sheep. civilization? Because <laughs> it's the fat sheep. And notice, everybody in this is the Israelites. He's not pronouncing a judgment on the Babylonians or the Assyrians or other people. He's saying, those of Israel, of the household of faith, who got fat off of the others. That's it. That is, you were greedy. You kept everything to yourself, and you let these other people. You butt. I love that. Butted yeah. them aside and used your horns, yeah. and you know, elbowed and the survival of the fittest and the powerful. A laissez. Oh, sounds a bit like laissez-faire capitalism, mm. and you know, and hmm. Uh, have we seen in the last fifty years the rich getting much, much richer, and the poor much, much poorer? And have we seen? I'm just thinking in terms of America. American culture, if you want to look at this, this is a distinct call for social justice. And is it any wonder as we look at what has happened in these these era? I'd say, you know, say at least since the Ronald Reaganomics and the trickle down and all of that that has been, most people tell you didn't really work in terms of rising all ship all ships being risen. The people at the top. There, there are some ships that have risen, but they're yeah. they're super yachts and uh, other things. Uh, they're not the dinghies that most so of when us you, when you, <laughs> have to resort to. <laughs> yeah. And to be, you know, I am, a, I am, and I make no bones about it. I'm a kind of a left wing Democrat when it comes to politics. But you know, there's the populist folks have a major argument when they look and say the economy is powerful, but powerful for whom? When the ordinary people like middle class and others, the prices are rising and salaries haven't kept up. Mm-hmm. So the overall big picture numbers look great. But for the average Joe, the lean sheep are getting leaner. Mm-hmm. That's, and a, being, that's powerful. Though. Yeah. And being flanked and shouldered and headbutted at every turn. At every turn. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for the unrest un, un that people, and they're looking for an answer. Mm-hmm. So those are some powerful things. And so then, again, this is reign of Christ. What does it say that God says, I will be the shepherd? And for Christians, as we read this Christianly, and we identify Jesus as this Davidic line Messiah that is promised, what does that say about what the judgment of the of of God on this, and where should we be there in relationship to social justice? What are that, where is our role? And that is a fantastic question to keep in mind. I think as we head toward this gospel story today, which has been the yeah. source of some confusion and 
this, that, and the other, where, where, where would Jesus be, and, and, and where, where are we? Where should we be um, we in be? the midst of this? So, yeah. Yeah. So the two psalms today are both kind of communal Thanksgiving psalms. I, I, as I read Psalm 100 and read some of the commentary, all I could think of for my southern rural Baptist roots was all day singing and dinner on the grounds. They were talking about a communal Thanksgiving where they'd make a sacrifice and everybody would eat Mm -hmm. the sacrifice, you know. And so uh, when we say dinner on the grounds, do not imagine everybody sitting on the ground at a picnic. You go in these churches out there, you would see under the trees these built-in tables. Picnic tables. Picnic table, Mm -hmm. long table that they'd put all the food on. Then people would... You'd stand or bring a chair or whatever, but the food is laid out on this big messy. Whenever I hear the word messianic banquet, that's what I see is that table <laughs> under the trees. Oh. Just, and some of them had cut roofs on them, you know. It's a but gr- this long table, yeah. long table full of food. It's a great image if you've ever been to dinner on the ground. And these yeah. days, we it, you, you still see that term floating around, even if but dinner's in the, in the fellowship hall. <laughs> so it's always in the fellowship hall yeah. now because it's, it's too hot out there. Still- and Flies getting the food. All Still that a stuff great we, image, though. Everybody brings image. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, and so, both of these psalms kind of address that. Psalm ninety-five is a call to worship, praise God. The middle of it says, "Why praise God? Because God is great and did all His creation." And it returns with another call to praise. Great King above all gods. Both of these are associated with Ezekiel, mainly for the eleven through sixteen. You know what God will do, restoring us is yep. what it's connected to. So our our epistle lesson, a New mm-hmm. Testament lesson, the Ephesians lesson, is um, has one of my favorite lines in it, verse 18, mm-hmm. um, the eyes of the heart enlightened. That's just, isn't that just a lovely line? It is. It is. And it, it, the eyes of the heart enlightened for me is always such an image of the diff- what changes when one becomes a Christian. Or one begins to see the world Christianly. You see the same things, but you see these things with the eyes of the heart enlightened. (laughs) And hold on to that phrase and that thought about how we see things for when we get down to Matthew and this, this vision. Yeah. Because, but in this context, what, what Paul's getting at with this eyes of the heart enlightened is he's trying to say, what does it mean as this little group of Christians in Ephesus are huddled there, and they've got some some. Um, they're probably some of them are Jewish Christians, some are not. So the Jewish community is un, is having trouble understanding who these Christians mm-hmm. are. You're trying to say you're Jewish, but you're not doing this. What's going on here? Yeah. So they're feeling oppressed there, yeah. and then the governmental oppression of. Well, why don't you people sacrifice like you're supposed to? And, and you yeah. know, the government of Rome and empire was, was an oppressive government to start with. And so they're feeling put down. And he said, hold on, look at what you really are. And that's where all this language of the inheritance of the riches and all of this. And then the enthronement, and he's there. And, mm-hmm. and then this, above all, he is the ruler above all. Yeah. Um, who is the true ruler of our lives? And it's hard to hear that when you're sitting in in a ditch <laughs> under suppression to believe that God's got this. That's yeah. what he says. God's in control. Don't submit. Know that eventually it'll be all right. It's hard to hold on to that, but that's what he's 
is pushing. He is. And uh, it, th- this is a powerful passage. I've always loved this yeah. Ephesians 1. The whole eyes of the heart enlightened. Uh, there is a lot of contemporary uh, research and science behind yeah. the idea of heart resonance that we yep. have. And it it's a level, you've got sort of a mixed metaphor here, eyes of the heart, what you yep. see, what you feel. Uh, but uh, that, yeah, it adds a whole new dimension to our awareness when we become aware of heart resonance and through yeah. the Spirit, through the work of Christ, to literally open our hearts so that we can see some things that you don't see with your eyes. It goes deeper than that. I'll probably yeah, put a tag in the uh, in the premium edition about some of this. Yeah. Well, the and and throughout Scripture, beginning with with Pharaoh and all, talk about having your heart hardened, heart hardened means as implies they can't see the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, your heart is hardened. So, and then this so this is playing off that image of having your eyes of your heart enlightened. Yep. So that you understand the truth and you're able to do that. And and the other part of this text and why it's here today, it was all this above all dominion and rule and all that, brings us back to that question we discussed in the intro, which is what is the relation of the Christian to the state? This is most the text that most clearly addresses that today, yeah. that question. And, you know, at what point do you say does the, does the Christian feel the right to rule because Christ... <laughs> is over all dominion and all of this sort of thing. And there have been many Christians throughout. I mean, that's part of what the medieval tradition mm-hmm. had to do with Rome believing it had authority over all kingdoms, you know, Holy Roman Empire right, connections right. and all that. Uh, you know, and you look at the history, and that began to break when Charlemagne, de- you know, when Charlemagne was crowned by the Pope, and then Napoleon took the crown out of the, <laughs> the Pope's hand and crowned himself. That's yep. an important image. Look at look up the history of that. And so what is that relation? Again, that brings that up. And some people think it means the church gets to rule. I don't that's that mm-hmm. there in verse twenty three, read it carefully, head over all things for the church. Mm-hmm. And and think carefully about what that might mean. I admit to have a tendency to more toward Anabaptism. My grandmama was a good German dunkard. Yeah, you know, you about, go. The, you know mm-hmm. about the dunkards. We mm-hmm. were, our Germans were not Lutherans. Our German ancestry were Anabaptist dunkards. You know, that, I love dunkards. They baptized you three times at once. You know, mm-hmm. in the name of the Father, up, and, up, down, <laughs> in up, the name of the down. Son, down. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you've you been baptized <laughs> after the dunkards get you done got with good. You. So uh, where do you fall? But be careful with this text to not assume that it means Christians get to run things. And the dynamic is to say, nor does it mean to me that we just sit back and take it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because in the end, God wins. But in the meantime, Mm -hmm. we serve God and which brings us to this gospel parable. Yeah. The vision of the end. That's it. And that, sort of dichotomy that we're trying to find of uh, being a, a Christ follower in a governmental system, a democracy, for me, it, it, it's finding that line, and it's not that hard to find. No. You don't go all the way as to say, well, see, we need to make everything about Jesus, and, no. you know, this country needs to be run to my <laughs> interpretation of what Jesus says. No, no, no. Um, 
Christ is far above, Ephesians says, all these authorities yeah. and, and, and rulers yeah. and et cetera. Particularly in a democracy, I can have a voice and I should exercise it. I can express yeah. my conscience and I should. And there's not a thing in the world wrong. I wish you could, I could get some of these folks to understand. Yeah, you're welcome to your beliefs and your attitudes and, and express your voice. That's fine. But the the idea is all voices come together until we find, you know, some form of uh, consensus that's far lost, I guess, these days uh, and well, move forward. But I, it's not drowning out my voice as a Christ follower, but neither do I demand that, that, it, that all the Christ followers ought to be in charge. No. Well, I think the model of Christ himself, mm-hmm. uh, when, when he's standing before Pilate, mm-hmm. are you a king? And yeah, it's what you I am, but yeah. how one chooses to exercise that in a sacrificial mm-hmm. and a self-giving way mm-hmm. in relationship to the world. It's not about control. And there comes a point for all of us that we have to decide, is there a earthly rule that I mm-hmm. can't follow because? Mm-hmm. Now, that the point there is, there comes, there's just a divide. That doesn't mean you get to do that and not suffer for it. Correct. That's where it gets. It's a, well, I should not have to do that. Because, well, that's fine. Because, yeah. but Christ went to a cross. That's right. And taking up a cross may mean saying, I will not follow that. That doesn't mean that you, and you don't get to go to, you get a get out of jail free card because mm-hmm. you're claiming it's because of my religious commitment. No, sometimes your re- religious commitment We'll lead you to jail. It's costly. It's costly, and we can't assume a kind of and the, the a, a kind of free pass. And one of the things that I think some of the folks who want to claim this as a quote Christian nation want to do is institute our group gets a free pass for following our religion totally and completely, and those other people don't. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, you do the in a democracy, you do the best you can to accommodate everybody you can. But sometimes, following your tradition means you have to make sacrifices. My, you don't my, get yeah. things you want. My conviction may cost me. And, my yep. conviction may cost me. Yep. All right. So moving to Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through forty-six, uh, a, a, an important caution here uh, that we this three weeks in a row. It's been about the mm-hmm. kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. We had two parables. Today we do not have a parable. We have a vision. Mm-hmm. And that, that's different. That Christ, you know, is the king in this vision. When the son of man comes. And then it trans, it goes from son of man to talking about a king. So this is associated there. But remember, this is a vision enunciated in the in the Matthew's gospel by Jesus of what it will look like. And the assumption is he was asserting that he would be that person. But this is a vision of the end. Mm-hmm. So what the images in it are all drawn from Jewish thought. For a long time, right and left was right was favored, left was unfavored. Mm-hmm. And that's status. And that's been a, a long time. And there's there's all kinds of things in Middle Eastern culture about what you do with your right hand and your left hand. We won't go into that. You can look that up. But it is reflected. That's a tradition. The other is inherit the kingdom here 
is long used in Jewish thought as a reference to the promised land. Mm. Who gets to live in the promised land? And the third thing, this reference to the foundation of the world, in Jewish thought, scriptural and other thought, philosophical thought, it was purported that God had created everything necessary to fulfill God's intentions for the world before the creation started. For us, it would be a kind of a Calvinist notion of everything is in and the plan's unfolding. And that was very much a part of of, uh, Jewish thought, and that's reflected here. So everything's created. Look for those things as you read through here. This is reflecting deeply in Jewish thought. So mm-hmm. we end up with, you know, and you have that repetitive pattern that you find in a lot of Jewish thought because the first section of describing the ones that that were on the right hand, the ones who were the good guys, is then basically repeated with the negative again. So you got a mirror thing kind of it's a very oral thing you know to saying the same thing again oh yeah and the basis of judgment is basic humane response to human need humane response to basic human need so that's a, the first element is what is it what is this basis and then say and i will say all of this is rooted in the going back we're in the great commandment which is not original with jesus but is deuteronomy and leviticus correct you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and the second is like unto it you shall love your neighbor as yourself keep that in your mind and so how you treat your neighbor as yourself if you're in prison you want somebody to see you. if you're hungry you want somebody to feed you if you're naked you want somebody to give you some clothes mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. how do you want to be treated yeah Treat one another. And then secondly, so the humane treat response to human need. Both right and left in this are surprised that this that they one is surprised that they're being rewarded, the other is surprised they're being punished because none of them remembers anything. Mm-hmm. But so at core, remember what I said about the eyes of your height uh, eyes of your heart enlightened? It's not that those on the right hand said, oh, this might be Jesus. I better treat him nice to get rewarded. Yes. They weren't inordinately it, perceptive. and, and no. Yeah, no. What they, their hearts enlightened was that all people are God's people. All people deserve humane treatment. All people are to be loved because God created all people. And so they're treating others humanely, not in any sense of thinking, you know, I'm entertaining angels unawares, no sense of God will like this and will reward me. They're just seeing somebody in need and treating them the way they themselves would want to be treated. It has become so much a part, that that great commandment has been so united in them, they don't even think about it. Meanwhile, those on the left are so enamored of how do I please God, perhaps, and Mm -hmm. I think in this parable, that they don't notice people. That's the the point underneath this. I'm serving myself, and and if they thought about doing anything for anybody else, it would be thinking, what am I going to get out of this? How am I going to be rewarded? They're not noticing people. They honestly didn't know and if they had seen God or the Messiah in that oh. condition, we'd they would have done something. We'd have been right there, Jesus. Yeah. 
one of, one of the great lines that, that that one of the great sermons that Hitler preached was uh, Christmas, and he says, "Yeah, you all say, oh, I wish I'd have been there when Jesus was born. I would have given, I would have done clean diapers. I would have taken care of Mary, and all. I would have done all of this." And then Luther says, "You fools! It's right next door, and you don't even notice." Yeah. You don't even know it's there. Yeah. You're just waiting for it to be Jesus. I don't think you intended to call Luther Hitler, but you did. No, did I say that? Just in case any of y'all are still picking your jaw. It's my my pronunciation problems. Uh, Luther. You you started one of the great sermons Hitler ever preached, and I'm going, I'm interested in this. What's it? My brain doesn't function sometimes. There you go. Point is Luther. still excellent. Yeah, Luther's yeah. The Luther, Luther ever preached it's right here. Christmas Eve sermon. Yeah, That's he's it. right there. He's right there. Which boy, that I don't even want to go that Freudian. My brain synapses just don't work yeah. sometimes. Well, and but what what your what what you just said gets at a central question for me working yeah. with this text. What is really the, the the central point here in the sheep and the goats? Yep. Okay, what are we after? We. Let me speak for myself and many of the people I've worked with. We immediately go to the judgment. Oh, yeah, right. see, these people going to hell. Yep, see that. And we just skip right over what was going on with these two groups, you know, as you've just elucidated. One have become so much a part of the fabric of the kingdom that sharing and clothing and visiting, etc., is just intrinsic to the way we, yeah. one lives. And the other is just, the other group is just missing the point. They're oblivious. They're uh, the rich man uh, and Lazarus. He don't know the be- beggars lying at the door. It just, you know. And wh- I'm not trying to explain away the, quote, yeah. judgment aspect. Yeah. I do think it interesting that things like, uh, a place reserved for the devil and his angels and fire, etc. Very, very late entries into right. uh, Judaism, into Jewish thought. This was not a normal way uh, that they thought. And and uh, when you think of, of Matthew weaving this story, are there different parts that have kind of come in here, come in there, etc.? I don't want to explain it away. It's meant to make a stark contrast. But what really is the point? Is it about securing one's eternal salvation? Or is it much more closely to examining one's quality of life and yeah. following this, this work and way? And so where would Jesus, uh, where was Jesus found? Much more with, you know, naked, hungry, etc. Where should we be found if we're living the Jesus life, the way, the truth, and the life? Well, there you go. And so this story kind of makes it, in very extreme and stark terms, makes it clear. Well, both, both the, and both the Ezekiel text and, and the Matthew text with the judgment parables mm-hmm. is really about Pope's who claim to be a part of either Israel or a part of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the quest, this is an avenue for ethical instruction, not a prediction of any future. Right. This is an avenue for ethical instruction. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, (laughs) wait till your father gets home. It's been long used to get people to (laughs) behave. (laughs) So maybe this is a psychological avenue for it. But, uh, 
But that's that is underneath it. And so I think proclaiming this day, this, this who rules your uh, I, I'll go back to the eyes of the heart enlightened. Mm-hmm. Reign of Christ has to do for me with where where what rules your heart and who are you going to serve mm-hmm. and as for me and my house the echo from a couple of weeks ago as for me and my house we will serve the lord yeah. and who is your lord what is it you'd look to and all of that weaves itself together and and it comes down to the basic things yeah. of saying my life is lived for the most part in relation directly to others and not an obsession with what's going on in Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. Mm-hmm. But as we we have to think in terms of what that effect has effect on us. And when it pushes us, if it pushes us away from serving basic human need, either locally or nationally or internationally, it's wrong. And yeah. we have to decide how we're going to respond to that mm-hmm. and what loyalty we're going to have as we seek to serve the needs of others. You got it. Plenty of illustrative material in the headlines, folks, uh, to uh, support these kinds of ideas. And um, we, we got confidence in y'all. You're going to take all of this stuff and you're uh, reign of Christ sermon is just, it's just going to come out and blow them you're, away. You're, Oh, speaking of sermons, you have had another demonstration today, folks, of why I preach from manuscript, because my brain doesn't work right anymore. <laughs> manuscript is good. Uh, I've discovered that. Yeah. All right. Well, Bubba, we uh, I've enjoyed this year, and uh, we'll be back next week and start getting ready for year B. We'll be talking Advent. We'll be turning our minds toward Christmas because, as you mentioned a week or so ago, our folks are going to be turning towards Christmas, yep. uh, you know, and getting the decorations up and well, the parties and so and so. So we'll talk about walking that kind of well, homiletical tightrope. Yeah. Yeah. And and one one my 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 younger son who my older son's a pastor my younger son isn't and uh, he came by to pick up my grandson after we'd had the grandson for a day and he said oh I don't know if our little group can go to church three times in two days because <laughs> <laughs> a small congregation of yeah. uh, where they go and it's Sunday morning and Sunday night on the twenty yeah. fourth and yeah. then Christmas Day yeah. and you've got to figure out. What can my people do? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, what are what are we capable of planning? I'm we sure. Think about that. Ahead that's it. We'll be talking uh, as we move into the uh, Advent Christmas season a little bit about overviewing the season. What's ahead? Right. Not only for you as a preacher and these texts, but well, for your congregation. What can folks do? What's going to connect and be meaningful? And that that that's some of what we're going to be doing. The next time on yep. for our show for the first Sunday in Advent. That's it. Make sure we're thinking ahead. Yep. Right. Tune, tune in next time, folks. We'll see what Bullwinkle's got up his sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bubba, not much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme for the final time in year A is Next Step, performed by half.cool. We go out today with To Jesus Christ, Our Sovereign King, composed by Martin B. Hellrigal, 
published and performed by the Oregon Catholic Press.